0: What you'll find is when you're confident in who you are, you'll stop thinking so much about who you are and you'll start being able to focus on who they are and getting to know them and figuring out what they need and what they care about. And when you can do that and you care about what they care about, well suddenly you'll start seeing people writing checks much bigger than they were writing to you before. We got this little poem where I said if you the clincher of the poem was If you know who you are and care what they need, they'll throw roses at your feet. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline, It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick.
1: Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, hanging out with you once again. And we've got an exciting new episode for you this week. We are joined by Peter Nevlin. He is an author, musician, and all-around Renaissance man who's going to be talking about us some interesting concepts of the wiener dog. But before we do that, we're going to jump in our podcast here with the introduction, and for that we turn to Brian for our quote.
2: You cannot push anyone up a ladder unless he is willing to climb a little. Andrew Carnegie. Carnegie. Carnegie Steel. Correct. All right. All right. Cool. I like it. Yeah, even the trainer, Dale Carnegie. What? Great grandson of Andrew Carnegie? Is that right? Yeah, he is related. Somehow. I could be off on the great grandson part, but yeah, that's that's a a family tradition of motivating people.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, motivation and
2: Putting some big chains on the door and telling them to get back to porn and steal.
1: Some, some motivation there. Uh, interesting definition, but okay, sure. <laughs> oh,
2: you've never sinned, honey.
1: <laughs> oh, well, we do have a motivational podcast for you today. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, Peter Nevelin's joining us, and we're talking about the wiener dog, which is um, a hilarious animal. Uh, what do you call it? A
2: dachshund? Dachshund. Yeah. That's the official word. Badger hound, I believe, is what, uh, yeah, I used to ha- I used to have a uh, piebald dachshund. They do a lot of barking, so <laughs> got shot one. No, kidding. It, it, we uh, are kidding. Don't tell PETA. Yeah, I gave, uh, actually gave it to Melissa, who works here. Oh, one of our CSRs. Yeah, she had, she had a couple dachshunds and was looking for a piebald dachshund, and ours was pretty young, and. Got a new home. We got, had another baby coming, and was tired of him waking babies up so I I could dismantle the catapult that that I was building to shoot it across the county (laughs) and uh, got a fun home with a brother and sister that he just had a blast at. So
1: Nice. Well, if you're wondering what uh, wiener dogs have to do with today's show, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer because we're not going to reveal that until we actually get into the topic, Uh, but we do want to talk about uh, the idea
2: of being something that is worth remembering. Correct. We were talking about this uh, while well, I was talking about this rather with our text this morning with our field staff and I was you know show of hands who is trying to be the best uh, version of yourself. This might be an installer. This might be a, an electrical installer, an HVAC installer. This might be a plumbing installer. This might be salesperson or, you know, service tech. This might be a part runner or an apprentice, office staff, dispatcher. It doesn't matter. Who's trying to be the best in the building? I podcast the co-host. <clears throat> podcast host or you, the co-host, correct? <laughs> and um, I remember how I, I did it, but one of these times I'm going to ask the question, who wants to be the best one in this building? And watch as none of the hands go up, because what I do is question, I always end with the question, who wants to be the best version of that that has ever existed, ever, anywhere? And, you know, everyone here kind of knows when I'm looking for the hands to go up. But, of course, all the
1: hands go up. Yeah, at this point, we've actually installed signs up front that say, raise your hand. It's like the
2: uh, laugh tracks wait for the yeah wait for the uh, <laughs> best one that's ever existed. And uh, you know, I always jokingly say, but it's not all, not all a joke. Some of you can go ahead and put your hands down cuz you don't care about being the best that's ever done what you're doing cuz you spend zero time trying to get better outside of when you're actually putting your hand on a tool and it shows because you progress very slowly or not at all. But the reason we went with that quote today is I don't want to get too much into the wiener dog concept, but we'll just say you want to stand out. You want to, you want to be different. <clears throat> and when I say different and I'm talking to 70 you know, field staff in uniform, we don't want you to look different. <laughs> this isn't where you let your freak f- flag fly. This is where you, you know, you have the exact same uniform on as everyone else. I mean, it can be crisper without a purple Mohawk <laughs> or, you know, an eye ring or whatever, the idea is to stand out by your treatment of your teammates, your treatment of the people who pay your bills, our clients, and your workmanship. And if you can stand out by those three things in a positive way, thank you, you will master the wiener dog concept and you will be a massive wild success at anything you end up doing because there's only one way to get there practice practice no it's to it's to dedicate yourself wholly to becoming the best that's ever done this finding the people who are better than you and and for some people that's people in this building for a lot of people in this building that's nowhere near this this building cuz we have some of the best people doing this but it might be someone across the country like so many people in this building were inspired by our our podcast episode with brent buckley mm. who did what nine million in uh revenue in yeah. 2021 yeah. shout out to my man brent yeah as uh as a uh as an hvac service tech running over 80 percent maintenance calls he's he's doing eight nine million dollars in revenue and that challenged some people here who were at the top of their game inside the four walls of this building but not necessarily on a national level. So the idea is to find someone better than you, almost always possible. I will say it's always possible. You can get that done if you want to. Either use them as a mentor, or if you know you have no way to get a hold of them, just look at the numbers they're doing. Find someone in, in some of these trade Facebook groups who's doing just amazing workmanship and start emulating that, start copying it, get a hold of that person, ask for tips. I don't care how hard they seem in the group, and they're all, you know, just judgmental, you know, what's in <laughs> particularly, well, no, not particularly any trade. I'm in plumbing, electrical, and HVAC groups, and you could draw up the perfect picture of an install of anything, and they will find <laughs> 463 things wrong with it. Uh, it's guaranteed. But at the same time, people still post their stuff in there nonstop. And I'm, you know, I respect that. Kudos to that because they're just, they're trying to get better. They want a pat on the back for sure. But ultimately, they're looking for ways they could improve. And Find someone who's doing it right in there. Follow their lead. Ask them for tips. No matter how tough they seem in there, if you shoot them a private message and say, just looking for some tips to get better will they respond positively to you. You have no idea how much people like to mentor. It's a huge compliment.
1: It is a compliment, Brian. And it's also a compliment and a testament to many of the individuals that are already working in the trade, specifically in our office here in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, But we are proud of the people that we employ and what they bring to the table because uh, it is uh, is high-level stuff. And hopefully this podcast is also... um, evidence of that, that, you know, we, we try to bring content that is going to push you into something that is higher, better, faster, more uh, disciplined, and will eventually lead to better results. And uh, that's what we're trying to do every single week as we bring these episodes to you. Um, But the idea of constantly challenging yourself is not revolutionary at all. In fact, it's, you know, extremely old and probably played out concept but that's what makes it so powerful because it's always there and you can phrase it 10 different ways and use all kinds of tips and tactics and whatever to get there. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the inner desire to be better than the version that was just a moment ago, the version that was yesterday, the version of yourself last week, last month, last year, there has to be something inside of you that says, I'm not satisfied With who I am right now, I want something more.
2: Yeah, so to Mr. Carnegie's point, if you work here, you're in my trainings. If you happen to listen to this show, which unanimously you do if you're hearing this right now, (laughs) (laughs) we're here to give you a little push up that ladder, but you got to move your feet and you got to move your hands and grab those rungs and get to climbing. And with that, uh, we're going to do
1: some climbing with our guest today. His name is Peter Nevlin and we are about to put him in your passenger seat. Our guest today is Peter Nevlin. He lives with his wife and three children in Austin, Texas. His teams of Wizard of ads partners have helped grow businesses since 2008. It's very common for his clients to double and continue growing year after year. He holds a master's in material science and engineering and worked as an engineer for Motorola before leaving in 2002 to tour the world for a decade as, get this Brian, a spoken word performer and writing workshop teacher. He's now released three books, eight albums, two DVDs, and endless smiles all over the world. With that,
2: welcome to the show, Peter.
0: Oh, thank you. Appreciate it, Nate. And uh, nice to be here, Brian.
2: Thank you. Always great to talk to you, Peter. We we uh it, it's a special day to talk to you as well because our boss here, the owner Matt Buckwalter came into my office about an hour ago with his telly award. Maybe you can explain what oh. that is, but it looks like a uh almost like an Emmy that Yeah, right. He won for the Uncloggerator TV commercial that I just recently heard you wrote for us.
0: Yes, that's right. In fact, I write all you guys' ads. Um, I'm on a fantastic team with uh, Charlie Mosher leads it, and uh, Steve Ray, another Wizard of Ads partner. He does the media buying, but I get to write the ad. And uh, so that one was kind of a fun one, um, the, the uncloggerator, because you know it, it's definitely a bit of a ridiculous one, and having having the owner. You know, say this completely ridiculous word in a ridiculous fashion, and being like, you know, no, mo- you know, bigger, crazier, wilder, <laughs> and he, you know, and he's going uncloggerator, and I, you know, for me, on on my end, I just that just makes me smile all sorts of huge. Just, uh, <laughs> it's just so it's so
2: not his personality (laughs) and i got to be in one of those commercial shoots with him as he and i shot one together recently and just see like charlie going oh nope do it again nope, do it again and like you know (laughs) matt's you know one this isn't his personality to begin with and then two he's just being you know both of us just being directed to over (laughs) and over and we're both you know we're both kind of high drivers and what we do and it's just like oh again
0: great yeah that's yeah. right it was, that's it's, right. That it's a fun
2: it's a fun experience for sure but you and charlie are just utter professionals man you guys are just amazing at what you do and we've been excited well, about getting you. you on since you and i talked about it a while back
1: well peter cool. we we cool. would uh, happy to be here. yeah thanks we are excited to have you on as well and before we lose our audience to uh, some boring marketing podcast i'm just going to ask you straight up what do you have to offer Plumbers, electricians, and HVAC techs driving in their trucks right now.
0: Yeah, well, I think you know you guys are. Uh, it, it doesn't happen without you guys, first of all. And you, you know, you guys all know that. Um, the guy, the guy who does the uh, the marketing, the guy who owns the business. They're basically what we're doing is we're we're, we're storytellers, and we're promising that if you call the the company that, that, uh, that, you know, we're asking you to do business with that we're going to deliver this amazing service or this amazing product to you. And, you know, you guys as technicians, you guys as, as plumbers, as electricians, um, they, you guys are the ones who actually deliver on the promise, you know, and we always, I always caution business owners. I'm like, Hey man, you know, uh, good advertising kills a bad business much faster than no advertising at all. Right. So if you guys don't actually deliver on the things that your business owner is saying that you're going to be, if you don't deliver on the things that your marketing is, is saying that you're going to do for customers, then that customer is going to come away and go, oh, well, I thought they were great, but, um, you know, they weren't. And then when they hear the ad, they're going to turn around to their neighbor and go, Hey, you've heard those ads? Oh yeah, we've heard those ads. They're they're great. Yeah, well, uh, they don't actually deliver on a promise. Well, that's a that's a big problem, right? And so then that actually starts to, you know, we, we say sometimes is your problem. to tell, ask business owners will say is your problem that people haven't heard about you or that they have, mm-hmm. and that all really comes back down to the, you know, heating and air conditioning technician. It comes back down to the plumber. It comes down to the electrician, and so how do you get how do you get aligned? uh, with, you know, all the marketing stuff or what your, what your owner is preaching, um, so that, so that people are getting a consistent experience all the way through from the time they, you know, hear the ad to look you up on the website, to make the phone call to the time that you show up at the door to the time that they pay and you, you know, walk away. How can you leave them even with an even better impression than what, um, you know, was promised to them? Well, that's, isn't that pretty big? does it sound like important stuff for technicians and plumbers and electricians?
1: Absolutely. And I think it's so insightful. Say that one more time. Good advertising can kill a kill, bad
0: business. Yeah. Good advertising will kill a bad business faster than no advertising at all.
1: Right. Yeah. Cause you're putting the fallacy the out message. there. Exactly.
0: That's right. That's right. It'll help spread the message about how bad you are. Like if everyone knows you're bad, and we just tell people, you know, oh, come to see us. We're all great. And we don't address what everybody knows. It's like, uh, you know, a long time ago, Domino's Pizza had a real problem. Maybe they still do. But, uh, you know, they had a, had a serious problem was that, you know, everybody thought their pizza tasted like, you know, poop. Right. And uh, or cardboard, I guess, is what the, what everybody said back. And so they, they put an ad. They had to come. They, they first of all said, we got to do better. And so they went and, and figured out how to make, you know, in their eyes, better tasting pizza. And then they uh, their advertising was <clears throat> admitting, hey, you know that our pizza has tasted like cardboard for a long time. So we had to do something about it. And we made this better pizza. We went through this whole process. And so now we want to you know, we want you to try us again and give us a try. Why was that successful in restarting dominoes? Because they admitted what everyone already knew and gave people new information about how they have actually changed things to make it better. It's no different whether you're in heating and air conditioning, plumbing, you know, or electrician, uh, or you know, what do you call it? Electrical contractor, I guess. Yeah. Um, if, if you're any one of those things, you know, if people have heard about you, you've, people have given bad service in your name in the past. Somehow you've got to change that and you've got to give them new information so that they can make a a better decision. So, I mean, that's on the marketing end. But on the other end, what does a technician need to do in order to well represent, uh, you know, the company? And I mean, that's kind of the book is about becoming a wiener dog. I would I would posit that, you know, technicians and plumbers, and electricians need to be wiener dogs, too. So how do you do that?
1: That's a great place to start, Peter. And you are an author of several books, I I, uh, believe, but uh, the one that we're going to be looking into today is called uh, Wiener Dog Marketing, which is certainly a title that brings a couple of questions with it. Uh, Why did you decide (laughs) to go with that title, and what's the general emphasis of the book?
0: Well, you know, I decided to go with that title because my first title sucked. (laughs) honestly, I, I, I was trying to be too clever. And a lot of times I do that as a writer. I think that everybody knows what I know, which is actually true for most of us. You know, um, I think that people, you know, know what my thoughts are and stuff when they don't. And so I knew that this book was going to be about, uh, wiener dogs and, and that was going to feature prominently because it comes from this, uh, wiener dog races in Buda. And then I also knew it was going to be able to really grow a business uh, from the lessons that you learn from it because it's all about how to spot a success before you, before it's even been started, right? How do you see success coming before it ever happens? And uh, what were the lessons that I could learn from Roy H. Williams, um, uh, which you know he he was able to do this, and so I wanted to find out. Well, what's how how do we grab hold of this superpower that you have, Roy, for being able to say, oh, no, this one's going to be the winner. And these other two are going to be long forgotten. Put all your money on this one. And uh, because it's going to be this huge success, which is what he did with the wiener dog races for the Butte Lions Club. They had two other options. The other two were forgotten. And so I thought, well, it's got to be about wiener dogs. So the first title I had was an analysis of wiener dogs, You know, a silly sounding book about serious business growth. And I was talking to one of my partners, uh, friends, his name's Vi Wickham, and he was like, why are you calling it an analysis of Wiener Dog? It's a terrible title. <laughs> like Nobody knows, nobody's going to know what that's about. Why don't you just call it Wiener Dog Marketing? And I was like, oh yeah, I was trying to be too clever, wasn't I? Yeah, I need to be simpler. <laughs> so I changed it to Wiener Dog Marketing, a silly sounding book about serious business growth. So there you go.
1: Yeah. And Peter, before we jump into the, the meat of the episode here, what exactly got you into the whole position you're in now, you know, what, what's your story?
0: Oh, well, my story is an interesting one because I actually got a materials science, uh, a master's degree in material science and engineering from university of Texas. And then I also have an undergraduate uh, degree in mechanical engineering from the university of Texas. And I was working for Motorola and, um, I had, I had started writing when I was in college, just writing poems. Um, just for fun, I guess, on the side, whatever, just here and there, no, no big thing. And then I started performing them, and, and uh, I realized that I loved writing, and I loved performing. And so I um, actually prayed for the opportunity to leave Motorola and do that full-time. And so in 2002, I left that job at Motorola and started touring full-time a spoken word artist. It's a significant pay increase, you can imagine. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. But I ended up... I threw it all over the world, um, every continent except South America and Antarctica. Uh, I went to and performed or, or, and taught writing workshops um, all over the place. And then um, when I was I – I met Roy shortly before I left my job at Motorola, and he had me uh, – he was asking me to come and perform for his marketing seminars that he teaches down in Austin, uh, which I live in Austin, uh, Texas as well. And so I would perform for those, and I realized, oh, Roy's uh, Roy was using me as an example of a type of writing that he he teaches called Monet writing, which is kind of like, uh, you know, it's almost impression, like it would be similar to impressionistic painting or something like that, you know, um, very artistic type of stuff. And and uh, so I was like, oh, this is how to do consciously what I was just naturally doing. And uh, I kept performing for these, and Roy started paying me to perform because he was like helping me stay in the game, and uh, you know I needed all the money I could get. In about, I guess it was uh, six years, six years after I left Motorola, my guitarist said, "I don't want to tour with you." I had a girlfriend uh, at the time; she she broke up with me. I had a booking agent; he's like, "I can't book for you anymore." If I had a dog he would have left me too. And I would have written a <laughs> country song. country song. But exactly. <laughs> I didn't have a dog that left me and I didn't write a country song. At least not then. I, I wrote a country song later when I got married, but, uh, <laughs> 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 that was, that was about how, uh, you know, it's called point the finger. I was talking about point the finger myself, but anyway, so I was at that point where everybody had kind of left me and I was hanging out with Roy this one afternoon and I was like, Hey Roy, you know, uh, I've learned a ton from your just being at your marketing seminars and uh, before and after I perform, I was like, uh, how could I make some money doing what you do? Because I've been giving people some advice here and there. He's like, ah, you could try and you could try and make money on your own doing this. But uh, if you uh, uh, if I figure if, if Jesus, the son of God, needed John the Baptist to promote him, you need somebody to promote you. Why don't you become one of my partners? I was like, uh, okay. And he just kind of said it like that. I didn't realize what this, you know, if you know the rest of the Wizard of Ads partners, you're like, wow, all these guys are incredibly talented, incredibly, you know, gifted. And I was like, wow, what an honor this is. But I didn't realize at the time. And I was like, well, okay. He's like, you know, you could be making uh, in six months, you could probably be making a couple grand a month. And I was like, a couple grand a month. Wow. <laughs> like real money again. You know, that would be. I might be able to have a stable income. I could even have a family, and it uh, it turned out that it was actually what two years two years later. I it was uh, end of two thousand seven, beginning of two thousand eight. Two years later, I met this girl, and uh, proposed to her uh, eighteen months later, and got married. And right as you know, as things got as we got married, my business kind of tanked. I was down to one client, and I was like, man, I'm just going to make this guy a success. And that guy happened to be. Uh, you know, I was just, uh, it was, I was a good choice on my part because it was Todd in uh, Virginia Beach, one hour um, out there. And so I started working with them and they started growing. And he started telling people, hey, I used to have a problem getting calls on the board. Now I don't have that problem. Now my problem is getting enough people to answer all those calls. And the guy that you know, I've been working with, his name's Peter Nevlin. Yeah. And so I started getting these referrals. And now now I've got a successful growing marketing business. Uh, helping people, you know, helping tell the stories of, of people who are already going to be a success anyway. I'll just help them get there faster and bigger than they could on their own.
1: That's great, uh, Peter. And and certainly uh, a story of aspiration and one that I don't think is that much of a stretch from our technicians who many, you know, Many are, are have come from backgrounds that have uh, not been easy and have not uh, found yeah. necessarily all the ways to make things great yet. And so it's always interesting to hear somebody who's kind of progressed their way through difficulties and has come out on the other side and has a lot of insight to share, which is, of course, one of the reasons we have you on here.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. Appreciate it.
1: So Peter, uh, getting back to the main emphasis here, which is why does wiener dog marketing, why does marketing in general, why does the wiener dog matter to me as a technician? Let's let's dig in there. So let's start with the general concept. What is this whole thing about wiener dogs?
0: Well, wiener dogs, you know, is, and obviously, you know, you can go find this book, wiener dog marketing anywhere, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, all those online places. That's available hardcover or digital. I think the digital edition is cheaper, but whatever you want to do. Um, but, anyways, you, as you go through, as you start in the book, I start asking Roy, so Roy, tell me the story of the, the wiener dog races. And Roy said basically, hey, there were, there were three options that I was presented with. One was a wiener dog race, I could sponsor the wiener dog race. Another one was I could sponsor the uh, jet powered lawnmower races. Uh, he's like another one. I could sponsor the folding chair drill team competition. And he said, I I knew instantly that the other two would soon be forgotten. And the wiener dog races were going to be, you know, they were going to become big whether I got involved or not. So I wanted to get involved because I want to be a part of something that's a winner. <laughs> and I was like, not, not a wiener. He was like, no, no, no a winner. <laughs> and I was like, good, good, good. Thank you for not making that terrible pun. <laughs> and uh, anyway, and so he said, uh, you know, I said, so what is it about wiener – why did you know that wiener dog races would be successful? He's like, everybody loves wiener dogs. This dog in itself should not be able to exist. It's got these tiny little short legs. It's got the body of a sausage. Um, it, you know, And so then to, to, to turn it around and say we're going to have races of these little dogs that should barely be able to walk anyway, and these things are going to run super fast, and you have the ma- the, their master at the other end – who's urging them to come and they're doing silly things themselves and the wiener dogs get distracted and they go all off, you know, I mean, every part of this is hilarious. And so it's a farce, it's a gigantic farce. And and there are so many people who have invested so much time in their wiener dogs. I knew that people would come to watch this. I knew that people would enter their dogs uh, to race in these things. And so he said, all I had to do was just find a, Make it make the story larger than life, and I knew it would work. And so I was like, "Well, that's interesting." He said, "Yeah." He said, "See, it turns out that the idea, of course, was something the public was already going to be excited about. And if you have an idea that's great that the public's already excited about, well, then you're almost guaranteed that all you have to do is let everybody know that idea is there in some creative way, and people will come to it." And I said, "Well, so I started talking to him about the idea." And the success, and then he said, but here's the real thing. The real thing is that the wiener dogs, you can always count on a wiener dog to be a wiener dog. And I was like, okay, yeah. He's like, yeah, wiener dogs are always going to do wiener dog things. They're going to be silly. They're going to be ridiculous. Everybody loves them for that. He said, so the real power of this whole metaphor, this whole idea is not the idea of wiener dog races, but it's actually the uh, business owner is the wiener dog. And so if you've got a business owner that is reliable, that can consistently deliver what they have promised and that they are interesting, the public's already interesting and interested in them, and you just see them making successes over and over, or when they encounter obstacles, they find a way to surmount those obstacles and then go past them and everything, well, then that person's going to be a success. You should partner with them. That's not a hard bet. Bet the farm on that person continuing to be as they already are, and I was like, wow, that is really interesting, right? And so that's so that's where this, this idea of being the wiener dog means that, you know, one, you have an identity, uh, you know who you are, uh, number two, you have a purpose, you have this, this thing that you are dedicated to uh, fulfilling or to delivering to the world. Um, uh something that you are going to make happen no matter what and nothing can stop you short of somebody burying you in the ground without a straw to drink you know, to suck air from and uh, and third, you have an adventure there is some obstacle that you have to overcome there's some difficulty that people most of the time experience in your product or service and that difficulty you are figuring out a way to overcome it One, in the case of one-hour Mr. Sparky Benjamin Franklin technicians and plumbers, electricians, whatever, you guys have fig- have decided that the obstacle you're going to overcome is not wasting people's time, right? So that would be the adventure that you have. This The purpose is to, live, to deliver this outstanding service. And then the identity – now, what would be the identity of a, of a business owner or technician in, in this field? The identity would be what you really believe in, what you stand for. How are you going to – um, uh, uh, act as a as either a company, um, you know, are you going to have a family atmosphere? Are you going to have a competitive atmosphere? Are you going to have a um, you know a fun atmosphere? Maybe all three. Um, and then as a business owner, what kind of person are you? And then as a technician, you know, what kind of person are you? So you see how these things get aligned. The business gets really powerful. Um, but anyway, so that's kind of the idea of the. The book and, and I, I was blown away because you know I got to the middle of the book and I was like so tell me more about this idea Roy said you and I have had different metaphors this whole time the whole idea of who's the wiener dog is the, the business owner is mm-hmm. the wiener dog and I was like oh he's like yeah because you know the it's more important about the person behind it uh, that's going to make this thing a success because you can have a fantastic idea and if you have a person who doesn't have the character to pull it off who doesn't have the commitment doesn't have the humility to admit when they've messed up and, and find a way to overcome that obstacle. Well, now that, that great idea will not survive. And I'm like, you're totally right. I've seen this over and over again with clients that I work with. And so that was really powerful. And then the other, the other powerful thing that came after that, were that he said, you know, if you yourself are a fantastic are you? If you're a wiener dog, if you have what it takes, if you have the stuff, you have the ability, you have the commitment, you have the humility to uh, do what you have set out to do no matter what, no matter what obstacles come your way. If you're that kind of person, you can't partner with someone who is less than you are. You know, A business owner can't have a marketing consultant who's a terrible storyteller trying to tell their story because they won't tell it well enough. And you'll get frustrated with them. A technician who's a fantastic technician cannot work for a company that's not a wiener dog, a company that doesn't have it together, that doesn't have the same values that you do. You can't be stuck in that position because you'll constantly be frustrated and feeling like you're in the wrong place because you are. <clears throat> and I was like, wow, that's, that's very true. Right? Isn't that true, Brian? Isn't that true, Nate?
2: Absolutely. And, and that's you any, know? any, any relationship. It's a total mismatch.
0: That's right. That's any relationship. And I was, you know, as he's as Roy's talking about this, that's in the book, it's in the it's, the chapter of the book is called <laughs> wiener dogs and magical storytellers. And, and I'm like, are, are you okay that we're talking about magical storytellers? We found a little bit ridiculous. He's like, yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it sound a little bit ridiculous because it's, a, I think that's the, the cool thing I noticed. Uh, you know, going back to when I left Motorola, when I embraced somewhat of the ridiculous nature of who I am and the way that I get super passionate about words and performing and stuff like that, suddenly people stopped saying that I was a nerd and started saying that I was cool. And I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> you know, Nate, Nate you're on the cusp of okay something, me. buddy. You're, you're this close. <laughs> yeah, know,
2: right? You're so this funny. close, my man. <laughs>
1: Oh, Brian! Speaking Uh, of uh, mismatched partnerships, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's time for I'm
0: I'm the brains and the brawn. It's time for you to step up, Nate. Brian, I just want to let you know, just in case you didn't know, Brian, you're a little bit dorky too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. My wife and my uh, podcast co-host tell me all the time.
0: Don't worry. Absolutely, and I say a little bit just because I'm 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 trying to minimize it a little bit, but it's really a lot.
2: I appreciate you going easy on me there, Peter.
1: <laughs> well, Peter, yeah. this is this is good stuff. And and I mean you just dropped a lot there. Um, and we kind yeah. of want to circle back to it a little bit to dig sure. in. Catch so, our breath. Yeah. I mean, as as a technician in the truck, I mean, technicians are gonna do what technicians are gonna do. And I I, I don't think that analogy falls any bit short of the wiener dog one there, where I mean, techs right. are techs. Like we see mm-hmm. that all over the place. Um, they, they are generally very servant minded. A lot of times there's a lot of technical ability, uh, you know, capacity to see and, and view a problem and put it all together in their head where many other people would just like look at something and just give up immediately. I mean, right. the yep. technician mindset of, uh, of how they go to business of how they, uh, how they work, you know, what effort they have to put into it is all very universal across the country. And so you know, mm-hmm. to relate to your analogy, texts are going to be texts. Like they do tech things. So right. what does that mean? Because I mean, the, the wiener dog, it has funny attributes. It has, um, you know, obnoxious things about it. And it has things that are really adorable. You know, I'm sure. sure the same thing relates into technicians where there's some, there's some funny things. There's some not so funny things. And there's some things that, you know, we just all really appreciate Do we, do we look at those and say, Hey, we need to minimize the things that nobody really likes or, you know, do we just embrace that and, and say, Hey, this is, this is what a wiener dog looks like. What does that mean? And how do we process through all those different attributes?
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I would, I will maybe answer it in some way by asking another question back, what separates a good technician from a not good technician? What are the attributes that a good technician needs to be a good technician? And then and then maybe even answer, what are the attributes that a technician that is highly sought after, that everyone loves, that constantly sells, what are the attributes that that kind of technician has that doesn't make them just a good technician, but a great, fantastic technician? So maybe let's go through that right now. I think it's, it's helpful to, to think about that right? So first of all, what do you need? What's the foundational thing that you need to be a good technician?
1: You need a uh, technical aptitude.
0: Okay. So you need problem solving ability, right? right? Now, let me ask you this. If you have problems or if you have some problem solving ability, but you don't have a whole lot of experience, can you still make a very satisfied customer?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: You absolutely can. And how would you do that if you have, if you have, you know, decent, you say you get de- de- decent problem solving ability, but you don't have a whole lot of experience in the, the, uh, you know, uh, line of service that you're in right at that moment.
1: So, I mean, uh, obviously it depends on the customer, but, uh, ultimately the customer wants the problem to be fixed. And they don't necessarily know how or care even how or how long it takes, as long as it's within reasonable expectation. If the problem gets fixed, the problem gets fixed. So a person lacking expertise might take longer. But as long as they still accomplish the problem and they walk the customer through everything, the customer is ultimately satisfied.
0: Absolutely. So so you you may be able to get better from that point. But really what it is is about, first of all, as a technician, you know, I always think this is really amazing because we think it's all technical stuff. But if a person doesn't quite have all the technical knowledge they need, but they go to the customer and they first start off by talking to the customer, finding out what does the customer actually want? What are the problems that you've been having? And you listen really well and you find out all those issues and you go, oh, wow, I need to solve all those. And then you realize one or two of these I don't know how to solve. Well, you could say you could even if somebody even admits, you know what? that you bring up a really good thing that I need to figure out how to solve that for you. And I haven't encountered that before. So let me go find out exactly how to solve that. And I'm going to help solve that for you. Cause we have people that can solve that. They would be like, Oh, okay, fine. Do, do whatever you need to. And so you go off, you know, you might not even tell, you might not tell them that, but you go off and you call up, you know, a manager and say, Hey, you've know, got this problem. What can we do to, and so you find out the information you start going about solving their problems. Right, and then when you come and present to them the options that they have to solve their problems, and you show, hey, we actually I figured out that we have this, this, and this that can solve this problem. This will solve this problem. This will just get you your band aid, you know. And which one do you like to do? And they choose which one they like to do. And you say, and you're referencing all the things that they mentioned. They're going, wow, this person's really taking care of me, right? So the, the people skills, right? that that make a fantastic technician if you add on top of that that you're likable um, that you are you know you you care about the people that you're actually trying to help um, the things that your homes where you go into where you have to fix things if you actually care about them and they feel like you care and they see that you care wouldn't that makes a fantastic technician and then the other part of it is how do you relate to your teammates You know, are you a, an encourager to your teammates or are you someone who's constantly criticizing the organization that you're part of that separates poor technicians from great technicians? Are you somebody who makes your managers look good? Are you somebody who uh, makes the company look good, right? That's the way that you get promoted. And that's the way that you move into positions where, Hey, when, when your body starts to, you know, not be able to do all the, difficult physical labor that it is out in the field as a plumber, as an electrician, as a, as a heating and air conditioning technician, do you have now a, an avenue where you could move into management, where you could lead other people because of the way that you've practiced encouraging your teammates and leading your teammates by example and uh, showing them that, Hey, we're going to do this as a team and, and we're going to follow what's what our owner is saying. Like, you know, the, the first follower has such an important role, and if you can if you can be that first follower who says, I'm going to be the first person to do what's being asked to do and get other people to follow it, you're setting yourself up for leadership. That is what leadership is, right? So you see the difference between a poor technician, a good technician, a great technician. The great technician possesses those people skills, the ability to connect, the ability to connect not with only with their customers, but also with uh, they the, the owner of the company, their managers and their fellow, uh, teammates around them. That's, you know, isn't that, that's the stuff that you need. And that's what makes a, that's what makes a winger dog, isn't it?
1: Was that a, was that a providential idea sound in the background there?
0: Yeah, that was, it really was. I mean, I, uh, <laughs>
1: Timing, man. I don't,
0: I don't even know what that noise was off my computer, <laughs> I've got my book in front of me, but maybe it was my my email doesn't even make noises, so I don't know <laughs> what that was.
1: Well, Peter, does that mean that uh, that there's like an ultimate wiener dog? Is there like the wiener dog to live up to that all other wiener dogs envy?
0: Well, in I mean, I would say so. Yes, if we're you know continuing this metaphor, you know who's the wiener dog of wiener dogs? Um, I would say that. Uh, you know, I have someone who, who I follow, obviously, um, that I think is the, the ultimate person that I want to pattern myself after. I mean, that's, I follow Jesus, um, and, you know, I, I just haven't found anybody who loves me like that. But, you know, I, I thought it was interesting in this. So in Chapter 10 of, uh, of my book, the title of it is Follow the Wiener Dog, How Employees Become Wiener Dogs. And I asked the question, you know, is it possible— uh, that a good business owner could see themselves as the promoter, or I call it the vamp, but that's explained in previous chapters. But the, a, a good business owner could see themselves as the promoter of their customer representatives, their technicians, etc. If the business owner believes so much in his or her people and how they deliver great service and products to their customers, is it possible that they can become wiener dogs? I asked Roy this question, and he says, nope. And I'm like, e- yeah, but there's some sort of belief there, right? I mean, the commitment of the business owner to his or her team. And he's like, Roy just says it really bluntly. He's like, my experience is the people can be replaced. I was like, well, yeah, it's just, just so you'll know, the business isn't the people. And uh, and so he, he says, see, because the people don't make the business owner, the business owner makes the people who they are. And so the company and the culture of the business, it comes from the owner. And he says, what I'm uh, – I I said, but that's what I'm trying to say. A business owner's belief in his people makes them what they are. He said, no, that's not true. And and I said, it's not. He's like, no. And he says, a business owner's belief in the fact that they are a wiener dog and being a wiener dog is worth dying for. They teach their people how to be wiener dogs. I said, so that makes the people into wiener dogs. He says, in other words, so when you say, look, I'm this. And if you want to argue about it, you can't work here. But if you're with me, if you're with me, and who I am, then we're all wiener dogs. Let's be wiener dogs together, he says. So if you believe what I believe, and if you're willing to deliver what I promise, let's do this together. But if you have a different opinion, then you're going to have to eat, he says, poop—different word for poop—and die. And so whenever you say it's not a group project, and I said, <laughs> I even asked in the book, can I say poop and die? He said you can say whatever you want. The simple truth is. Whatever you say, this is who I am. It's not subject to negotiation. If you want to work here, you have to get in line with who I am. I don't believe in you. I'm the business owner. I don't have to believe in you. You have to believe in me. The people have to realign themselves with the wiener dog. Now, he's saying it incredibly starkly and incredibly strongly, and I said, but see, that's a scary truth in our culture. It's true, but it's scary. People are afraid to submit to an idea that's bigger than them, but it's what's necessary. And it just so turns out that in submitting to an idea and submitting to the idea of the wiener dog, getting behind the wiener dog actually makes you look bigger, better, more glorious than you would have looked otherwise. I'm telling you, it's a truth of the world. It's a truth of the universe. It's a truth of all time, and it's not talked about. It's not talked about in the church. It's not talked about in business. It's not talked about in marketing or in fiction or in very many places. But there's something that's true about when you actually humble yourself get in line with an idea that's bigger than you you become something more glorious than you could have been on your own and now you have the opportunity to take that glory that you've become and give that back there's something really cool in that story of who we were made to be and roy says there is i agree with that he says what i'm saying is this when you think you are the thing that everyone else needs to emulate you're probably wrong when you realize there's something else that you need to emulate you're probably right. And so being the thing that everyone else needs to emulate, you're either a narcissist or you're a psychopath or you're insane. And I'm like, (laughs) and he goes, or you are the one true Messiah. And I said, shh, yeah, right. (laughs) And so here's the point. And I said, there's only one guy that was the one true Messiah. He's like, no, here's the point. And he says, is it impossible to be the person that everyone needs to emulate? No, of course it's not impossible. It's just an unbelievably astronomically unlikely scenario. So for most of us, for most of us, we need to be the person that emulates a true captain, a true chieftain, a true leader, a true messiah. We have to pattern ourselves after that kind of person. And whenever whenever you say, "Okay, I'm going to follow this direction because this leader is leading me that way. And I believe this leader. And so this is the truly, amazingly, breathtakingly successful franchises truly introduce somebody that nobody had ever thought of before and they did it better than anybody had ever done it before and if you decided I'm going to follow this franchise I'm going to follow their beliefs you become amazingly unbelievingly astoundingly successful you have become a wiener dog
1: so Peter I'm processing through all that there and you know I I look at myself and I you know I, I have some admiral characteristics i also have some characteristics that i'm not proud of some things that need development in me and i would imagine that most technicians as well as most business owners find themselves if they realistically looked uh in the mirror in the same position where there's some there's some pros there's probably a couple cons that you know we cover up or we don't like to talk about or maybe they're on full display and we've just said hey this is who i am deal with it So if if we as technicians, you know, driving in our trucks right now, we don't exactly have what we would say is the ideal wiener dog to be looking up to. Do we have to, here we go with the puns, create a Franken wiener dog?
0: (laughs) No, I I actually don't think so. I think if you create a Franken wiener dog, then, then the problem that you uh, run into is, is actually it's what you're looking at. You're looking at a mix of things that's not ideal and and the, the right way to go about it is to say I'm going to look at only the things that will benefit me, and I'm going to focus on what I do that's really great and not focus on the parts that I messed up. And what happens is is when you start looking at the parts that you do really great, and then for the parts that maybe where you have some flaws, you have some qualities that you're not proud of, you start looking at – uh, people who possess the good qualities that you want to possess and you start thinking about how do they actually uh, 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 execute or deliver on those great qualities in a different way than I do where I mess this up see what you're doing then first of all you've gotten curious about why you're messing up and why somebody else is doing well at what they're doing And, you know, my counselor that I go to, he says, in my experience, people that don't get curious about why they're screwing up will never change. So if you want to, if you really want to change, you want to get better, you get curious about why you're screwing it up. And then I would say, get curious about what someone else is doing, doing it right. And if you go and look at what someone else is doing and how they're doing it right, and you study that and you think about it constantly, guess what? your brain is being trained how to do it right. And so your weakness now starts to become uh, less of a weakness. And the other thing is if your focus is on the things that you're doing that are doing right, and you're emulating someone who is leading you uh, in the best way, and and you emulate all their best qualities and leave behind the ones that are clearly flaws, because there's no human that's not flawed, um, then you start to become better and better at what you're doing. And, and so I, you know, I think that you can, you can admit it, there's, a, there's definitely some freedom and there's a whole lot of health and humility in admitting, I do not do things perfectly. I have these flaws and these flaws and these flaws. The thing that gets unhealthy is when you start to say, and nothing's ever going to change about that, and you're just going to have to deal with it, or I'm so terrible, I'll never amount to anything, that you know, shame spiral that you can go in or the, you know, uh, arrogant, uh, you know, stubborn spiral that you could go. I mean, you could go those ways, or you could say, yep, I've got these problems, but you know what? I'm okay for who I am. And I'm going to look at this and I'm going to look at these wonderful examples and I'm going to pattern myself after them. And if you do that and commit to that, you'll find that it feels a little fake at first, but over time, you will start to reflect exactly what you are trying to emulate and it will start to feel right. And the more it will feel right. And I would just, you know, encourage anyone else. I mean, if you, you know, if you want to take a chance and ask Jesus to help you, you might find that he actually shows up and he helps you and points you in the right direction way better than I did. Mm. You know, I just challenge you to take the risk of doing that.
1: Yeah. I agree.
0: He's, He's pretty trustworthy. He always answers me whenever, you know, not always in the time that I want to, but he always gets back to me and I find him loving me. So I would just challenge you, take the risk. If you want to get better, ask him to help you too. And he'll either lead you to the person or, you know, tell you directly.
1: Uh, well, yeah, that's, that's obviously, uh, what we do believe here as well, Peter. And thank you for sharing that. Uh, and I think the concept that you're talking about there in general is, is mentorship. I mean, seeking out somebody who's, who's been there, who's done things, who you want to aspire to and, and following in their shadow and trying to figure out what made them tick. And that's something that we've preached here time and time again.
2: Yeah. And you did say that it's, uh, something that you might feel fake while you're doing it first. And I would encourage everybody to not, not necessarily see it that way as I've, uh, gotten into where i've been taking my son and my oldest daughter to jiu for a year and a half i finally started going myself recently mm. and i don't and, and i you know i'm a i'm a train wreck when i get in there it's just brutal how badly <laughs> i get beat by someone that weighs 40 pounds less than me and right. you know couldn't bench press this mic stand and they're just like doing anything they want to me, including my 14-year-old son who weighs 70 pounds less than me and, you know, benches a third of what I do, but right. uh, tapped me twice my first day <laughs> like it was nothing. Um, it's not like, it's not faking it. It's just a learning curve. It's just, yeah, it's you, just a learning process. It's like if you played, right. you know, a, a video game, whatever video game you may have played over the course of your life, and the first time you, you played it, it just doesn't make any sense to you. Like anyone can right. beat you at it, but the thirtieth right. time you play it, all of a sudden you're forced to be reckoned with, and it's like, uh, yeah. you know, I struggle with this. I don't, I don't believe for the most part. I make jokes, but I don't believe all this millennial stuff and all this. You know, this generation is this and that. Um, right. You know, some of the best people we've ever hired, and I mean that. Are the newest are the 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 most recent generation, early twenties people, and and um, I see the I see qualities in them where I'm like, wow, you know, if I had had this, or if you know, if we had had some of these qualities a a while back, and it's a testament, obviously, to our recruiting team, our HR and, and recruiting directors, but. Um, also to the, to the young men and women that we're seeing in this generation. But one thing I will say about this generation that, uh, does discourage me is there, if they don't know it, they seem to be somewhat afraid to learn it. Like things are a little Mm. bit easy in this, uh, on internet generation, like things happen. They, they do. I mean, by, by design, they happen a lot easier for us today. Than they ever yeah. did before. You don't have to learn a lot to be like a freaking TikTok TikTok star. Like you don't, right. <laughs> you know, you can be a superstar celebrity without actually ever learning a skill or talent. That's a fairly new thing to the to the planet. Um, but anything you do, you, you're doing something very complicated and technical by sending a text message. But you don't have to learn anything to do it. So when we're when we're trying to train, you know, train a trade they get discouraged very easily by the fact that it doesn't come naturally to them.
0: Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about that for a little bit because you know, I think that's, that's a very interesting point that you bring up, Brian. I think it comes a lot from our culture, our culture. We're trained to believe in school that if we're exposed to information and we know something, we'll be able to do it right and perfectly. And so then we go out expecting to be able to do it and we find out it's Even even if we know how we're supposed to do it, we can't do it right. Why? Because we haven't practiced it. We haven't been trained in it. It's kind of like if you tell someone who's learning to play the piano, well, move your fingers here and here and here, and you'll learn to play it. And they try to do it, and they can't do it. Why? Because their fingers haven't been trained uh, to play that piano piece in the right way. But you know what will happen? If they start practicing, and they practice over and over and over, at some point, you get to the place of competence that you don't you don't even have to be thinking about where your fingers need to go. Your fingers know where they need to go. And at that point, if someone asks you to play some other piece, well your fingers have been trained to move in ways that make it easier for you to play that piece. And so the more that you practice these things, it gets easier. And I think that's a you know that's something we, we address it a little bit, Roy and I do in the in the book, Wiener Dog Marketing. But we also you know, I see this over and over that, you know, when I was teaching writing workshops, I would teach writing workshops and, and I would give them these, these basic principles that, you know, how important verbs are and, and how you use nouns and how sparingly you should use adjectives and adverbs and, um, and then get people to write. And they would go, OK, so now that we know that, now teach us the advanced stuff. And I'm like, don't you understand? I have been practicing these basic principles of writing. For, you know, 20, 25 years now, and I still haven't completely mastered and I'm still learning how to do this better. Like if you will just practice what I've given you and not try to think about you have to learn some more advanced stuff, but just do the basics. Just do the simple stuff. It's like saying hello to somebody at the door, being friendly, commenting on something that's important, just connecting with people. Just do the basic stuff just ask people what they need you to solve and figure out a way to solve it. If you'll just do that, you'll be better than 99% of the other technicians, plumbers and, and, uh, uh, you know, electricians out there.
1: Yeah. Peter, uh, this is fantastic. And we are just like cruising through things here. Uh, so I want to hop back into the wiener dog uh, analogies there and, and talk about being memorable, right? So one yeah. of the, one of the things that, um, makes a wiener dog race so ridiculous is that it, it's funny. It's you said you called it a farce, right? The, the whole thing is just, right. you know, uh, uh, a humoristic approach at something that's supposed to be competitive and it ends up being, I mean, right. it's, like, it's like a baby race, you know, like, I mean, how are you supposed yes, to get babies right. to race? Um, so <laughs> there's something memorable about that. There's something that makes you feel like this was a good time. Oh, that was so good. You know, you, you you tell your friends, you you take the photos, you send the videos and all that stuff to your family and say, this was hilarious. How does the home service industry, which is, you know, from a, from a black and white perspective, very logical, very, uh, um, you know, exchanging of money for services, um, all these things that are, that are not memorable, not cute, not funny or adorable, and not uh, certainly anything that we tell our, our family about how awesome this was typically. Right. How do we take away learning um, pieces from the concept of a wiener dog race and apply that into the home?
0: Sure. Okay. So, so there's two ways to do it. Uh, First way would be uh, the wiener dog race. Like I said, it's a farce. What is it a farce of? It's a farce, basically, of the 100-meter dash. Now, so you can either uh, emulate the qualities of the people who win the 100-meter dash, or you can emulate the qualities of the wiener dog. So what do I mean by that? 100-meter dash, why do we cheer all the guys who win the 100-meter dash? Why do we cheer Usain Bolt when he set the world record in the 100-meter dash?
1: Because it's, it's something that nobody else can do. It's unbelievable.
0: Okay. All right all right, so he just accomplished something that you didn't think that a human was capable of achieving. Now, so you can either be that way. And as a technician, you get to be so good that when you come into a home and they're like, I've had all these other companies out, nobody's been able to solve this problem. You come in there and you're like, well, okay, let me take a look. And you take a look and, and you're like, oh, well, you know what? It's this little known thing. And And, you know, you say it's one of the only 14 modes of the way that air conditioners fail, but this one a lot of times is missed, and this is what actually happened, and here I found, you know, this this capacitor was actually, you know, a shorting or something. I mean, you know, I'm making stuff up now. I know a little bit about, you know, heating and air conditioning to make me sound dangerous, but I couldn't fix one if I tried. But anyway, you go and solve this problem that nobody else could solve. Now, people, you're a hero at that point. And they're like, oh, my goodness, nobody else could solve it. You're the Usain Bolt of heating and air conditioning technicians. You could go that route, (laughs) right? right? And you could just be super good at what you do and do it really well, do it fast, and then do it uh, in a very likable and relatable way. Now, I say that one last, not because it's less important, but because it leads me into the opposite way. I'm talking about the farce of the wiener dog races. If you come in, and sure, maybe you you still have technical ability, you can still get the job done. But you find out that your superpower is that you are just so relatable, and that you care about people, and that you have a little bit of fun while while you're there. Not so much fun that it distracts from you actually getting the job done, or that you take so much extra time that people are you know sitting there. Pounding on their watch, going, when's this guy going to actually, or when's this girl actually going to get done with her or his job? Uh, but the kind of thing where you know you you have this natural ability to put people at ease. You make a joke. You know, it's like a Southwest Airlines flight attendant. They get on the plane and they're explaining how to do the seatbelt, uh, but they turned it into a comedy routine so that you learn the stuff while it was actually funny. If you have that ability to perform to present. Uh, or just to connect with people well now you're you've taken something that they expected you to be all serious and all business and you came in and made the accomplishing of your tasks not just easy for them but also fun that's also incredibly memorable and if you're either one of those two people people will sing your praises and they'll tell everybody else oh you've got to get this business to come out and and do this for you of the ones that you know, obviously, if you have that ability to connect with people, that's probably the one that is the least expected and so might make the most difference. The only problem is you can't violate getting done what they asked you to come and get done in the first place, and the other one is making it easy for them. You have to prioritize getting it done, getting done what they want you to get done, and making it easy for them before you ever get to the point of making it fun making it uh, you know a delightful experience. I think a lot of people think we need to delight our customers and they forget about the first two which is just satisfy what they asked you to come and do and make it easy for them to get done what they want to get done and don't make it all about you <laughs> If you make it entertaining along the way, great but you have to fulfill those first two first Does that make sense?
1: Yes uh, and we, we teach that certainly all the time here I mean uh, because there's there's a vast amount of clients, Um, that will get uh, seriously angry or or frustrated or annoyed that like, I mean, I called you out here to do job X. You haven't even addressed it yet. You know, like we, the, the sales culture uh, can stray into the grounds of like not addressing the problem first, which is, you know, contrary to what you're actually there to do because, Oh, look at all these other things I have to sell. Except for the fact that I called you out here to fix the problem, fix that first, then maybe we can talk about the other things. So that always needs to focus be the focus point. I, I totally agree with you.
0: Absolutely, I have a I have a client, and uh, you know we've been doing their advertising campaign for a couple of years, and I brought somebody in who was going to be a, a sales trainer, and I thought it would be great, and it turned out what this person ended up teaching them was all about how they must present. And I came in and, and I was like, why why are sales sales conversions just tanking? It's just low, like crazy low. We're talking like, you know, fifteen percent, twenty percent of the leads that come in, they were converting to actual you know replacement jobs. And you you guys know that's just dismal. That's terrible, right? Um, and uh, so I'm like, what what's so wrong? So I went on a sales call to find out. And these guys, they would ask maybe two, maybe three questions. And once they heard the, the answers, they just go start presenting right away and trying to pitch and sell and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, I just like had my head in my hands. Like, guys, like there's a person right there. You got to find out what they want. You've you got all these things you think that are important to you and you forgot that the most important part is what's important to them. Satisfy what's most important to them first. Make it easy instead what you're doing is you're trying to satisfy what's most important to you and making it hard for them to solve their problem that they need you to solve. And so no wonder people aren't choosing you. If you find that you're doing that, you know that real easy way to correct that is when you go into a home, slow down, put your presenting stuff on the shelf for a little while, and just ask questions and listen and then continue mm-hmm. to ask questions to make sure that you have understood completely all the things that they need you to solve and find out what they want you to solve. And once you're fully satisfied and they're fully satisfied that you know exactly what they want you to take care of. Now you can go on your investigation or maybe you, you'll know exactly what to present to them because now you, now you need to tie it back to what they told you that they want you to solve.
2: Or and even I better by, the, by getting to know them that way is how to present it to them
0: how to present it to them even better that's right because you'll figure out hey they're a certain type of style and they don't want me to take a huge long time maybe they want it they want it fast they're real direct or maybe they're not real direct maybe they're relational right isn't that what you're referencing brian
2: absolutely you're you're talking disc profiles pretty much
0: that's right relational styles of selling that's that's what that all call gets into
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Peter, a, a, with that whole idea of being memorable, I mean, that's the, the wiener dog race is the one that you walk away from the carnival, the festival saying, man, that was awesome. That's the same concept. Yeah. We want our customers uh, walking away from their experience with our technicians as well. Uh, being like, yeah. "Man, you know, Brian was just he was just a, a great guy. I, I, he took care yeah. of me. It was, it was a good time. You know, it was much better than I thought it was going to be because I probably had some type of a stereotypical view of. Of tradespeople in my home, and, and then there was Brian, and he just broke all those bowls, and that was great.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think the the key lesson to learn there is that the wiener dog doesn't have to try to be a wiener dog. If you ever see a wiener dog that's trying to be a wiener dog, it's probably not a wiener dog. <laughs> like a, wien- a wiener dog just is a wiener dog, and and when you're trying to do things that feel that are foreign to you, and trying to be something that you're really not. Um, you come across as fake and, and people can sniff that out. People can tell that. And, you know, I always loved, uh, I remember growing up at church, uh, this our pastor was talking about, uh, he was talking about the fruit of the spirit. And he goes, you know, I went out, I, I was in an orchard and I heard this. I was like, what was that? What is that sound? That is a strange sound. So he said, I followed the sound, you know, and I got close to this tree and I, I get up to this tree and I hear this, "Ah, ah." you know, he's like, what are you you doing tree? And the tree's like, I'm trying to produce fruit. (laughs) He's like, you never hear that. (laughs) He's like, a tree is where it's planted and it just naturally produces fruit. If you plant a tree there, unless something is totally defective with the tree, it will produce fruit. He's like, if you're plugged into the right stuff, if you're getting the right water, And uh, and, you know, you are who you were made to be, then the fruit of who you are will come out. Just be who you are. Be a wiener dog. Uh, Don't be afraid of the little quirks about you that, you know, that you think that people aren't going to like. It's okay. Embrace them as long as they're not they're not hurting anyone. And, you know, maybe they're a little silly. Maybe they're a little funny, whatever. That's fine. Be who you are and people will like you. And you'll, what you'll find is when you're confident in who you are, you'll stop thinking so much about who you are, and you'll start being able to focus on who they are and getting to know them and figuring out what they need and what they care about. And when you can do that and you care about what they care about, well, suddenly you'll start seeing people writing checks much bigger than they were writing to you before. You know, I've said it, I've got this little poem where I said, if you, the clincher of the poem was, if you know who you are, can care what they need. They'll throw roses at your feet.
1: Hmm. Well, our guest today has been Peter Nevlin and the book is wiener dog marketing. Uh, we have enjoyed discussing that with you, Peter. And as we start bringing things in for landing here, I wanted to kind of wrap up the show asking you a little bit more about you personally, because I, I think yeah. you're an, you're an interesting individual, um, who Thanks. brings together two fairly opposing worlds. Um, not many people that I know who have master's degree in an engineering field while also having the artistic writing and, uh, you know, creative, uh, being and thoughts inside, how do those two work together and, and, and how do you function in both worlds? And then tie that into the technicians who many of them tend to be more engineering, in their mind, uh, yeah. but are often dealing with clients who are creative and artistic and are not engineering it at all. So how does that all fold in and how have you made that work?
0: Holy cow. That's a huge question. Like, uh, <laughs> how am I learning to survive in my own brain? Right. Exactly. Um, you know, it, it's interesting that I find, um, what I find is that uh, most of the time I, I tend to be functioning in one mode of, of operation or another I'm either functioning as a as a numbers driven you know organizational engineer or I'm functioning as the artistic uh, you know creative uh, writer uh, you know that I am or performer Um, it seems like you know the way that uh, I think the way that those those come into play is that you know the the organizational the engineer it really helps with preparation and following the process, um, and as a as a technician, you you have need of um, of things that you can rely on um, standards. I would say even when you're presenting what you found to customers, or or even in the process of diag- uh, diagnostic diagnosing or or doing a diagnostic uh, on a system or or on a, on a home system, a plumbing system, or something like that to find out what's wrong, you go through a standardized process. Um, the artistic part really comes into play in not only, one, uh, from an emotional level, sensing what's going on in the house, what's going on with the homeowner, and responding to what you're feeling is going on with them, and making them feel comfortable. So that's one aspect. The other aspect that the artistic comes into play, and I think most people overlook this, is in actually the way that you solve the problem. You have some artistic license in the way that you solve it, while also having to maintain to the standards. And so I think if you can marry those two together, what you know, what I've found in my writing is that I use my engineering approach mostly for editing afterwards. I use the artistic to generate lots of stuff, and I find when I'm doing really well, um, I I actually uh, now write like so fast those end up working simultaneously together and that's very difficult to do I would caution you if you if you have kind of like um, an engineering or an organizational or whatever a logical ability plus also an artistic ability I would caution you that for a long time try to do the artistic first be, be your intuitive self first and then use your, your organizational engineering part as a check um, to make sure that you have um, uh, accomplished all the things that you need to accomplish. The other place, the engineering part is preparation. Do the preparation, which allows you then, once you've prepared, you have more ability to kind of um, um, improvise um, as you're going, and then you bring the engineering and the logical back as a check. Uh, just make sure that all the preparation that you made, you satisfy all the things of the preparation. I think that's how that works best. And it's very difficult to get those to happen at the same time. I would caution you uh, only once you've absolutely mastered this whole thing will those start to merge together because the problem is that a lot of people, they they try to be artistic, but then they bring their logical uh, left brain, I you know, um, sort of – is this right or is this wrong or do i like it or you know whatever all that into it and they actually stifle their creativity stifle their intuition because we're all creative um, at some point right and so what you'll do is you'll stop yourself from coming up with good ideas because your right brain will go fine you don't want my ideas i'm going to stop giving them to you and then you get to be totally left brain dominant and so that that would be the advice that i would give is give space for each one of them to operate independently and to act as checks and balances for each other until the time when they start to, you know, learn to work together and partner together uh, to help each other. So that answer your question? Did, I, did yeah, I get to the answer?
1: And and I think, you know, not everybody has the, uh, the extreme abilities that you do, but a lot of us will deal with clients that have are, are strong in one or the other. And so any right. words of wisdom that you have as you have interacted with probably thousands of different personalities whether it's been on the road as a musician or it's been in your business so you've interacted with both the creatives and the engineering side of things what has been some valuable takeaways that you have picked up Mm. in terms of dealing with different personalities specifically left brain right brain
0: yeah that's actually a really really good question and i you know a long time ago when i left motorola i remember i was talking to roy roy h williams once again and and Roy is man. Talk about. I mean, he has mentored me in a whole lot of stuff, and what how, how grateful I am to him for all the valuable wisdom he's given me over the years. But uh, Roy said, you know, when you're going to book shows, you're going to talk to two basic different types of people. And he said there's one kind of person who they are looking to um, they are looking to fulfill the emotional needs of their audience. And for them, you need to pitch differently than the people who you're going to, that they are looking to bring in customers, sell drinks, and make money. And so those are two completely different conversations, and you got to find that out right away. Is this person that I'm talking to, are they looking for you to satisfy the facts, the details, the needs uh, that they have right away? Or is this person the person who has an emotional need that they want solved more than anything else. And you need to pay attention to that emotional need and figure out how the details that you're offering them satisfy their emotional needs first. Each leads to the other, but knowing which one to attack first is super important. And so I did that when I was booking. And when I did, I, it was great because then I could, I could almost start to, um, I could start to predict whether a person was going to want me to uh, draw a crowd and bring a crowd into their venue and sell stuff. Or if they were, they already had a crowd and they just needed that crowd to go on an amazing, wonderful adventure where afterward they were going to be smiling. They maybe had cried a little bit and, you know, were inspired to be a better version of themselves. And I even took that further when I was performing, I would say, you know, like the key to a great performance is figuring out which piece to start with that will connect with the most people in the audience. Because if you figure out how to connect with what they are hoping that you'll do for them at the very beginning, once you've connected with that thing that they want you to do, they'll go anywhere with you after that. And so I think that's, that's the key is how do you figure out how to connect with what kind of person you're dealing with? Well, the only way way you figure that out is by First of all, paying attention, then by asking questions and by listening very carefully and then reflecting back to them and processing with them uh, to make sure that you have heard them correctly and that you know exactly what they want you to figure out. Like I can't overstate the importance of that enough. You will find out what kind of person they are in that process and also be able to satisfy their needs and make sure you pay attention. If you have to, write them down it's always nobody ever feels bad when they tell you stuff that they want you to know and you take the initiative to actually write it down so you remember it everybody's always like wow i feel valuable and important for you doing that does that help answer that question
1: yeah that that's a great takeaway there and something that i think could be easily employed in the field uh as as our technicians are hearing this at their very next call i mean just get out a yellow tablet and uh, the next time the client is discussing things with you, jot down a couple notes. It doesn't even have to be full Absolutely. sentences just like this, that, and whatever. And you know, the client is man, this guy's, this guy's engaged, right? Speaking of memorability, right. it you know, was the last time a technician was in your house and wrote down things that you said.
0: That's right. Nobody's looking to. they're not trying to figure out how smart you are. They're trying to figure out how much you care about them. When the last time you had a person come in to, that you met someone in your life who cared more about you than they cared about themselves? Don't you always like that person?
2: Hundred percent. They're they're trying to see how much you care about them and how much you can help them in this time of That's need.
0: I mean, is that, isn't that why people are so drawn to Jesus?
2: Yes, is is ultimate you know? care for the people he was dealing with, especially the people who oh. seemingly didn't deserve it
0: to an absolute extreme that he would give up all of his, you know, universal God power come to earth and then be subject to torture and humiliation at the hands of the people that he was caring for and die for them so that he could care for them and love them and be close to them. I mean, that, that's, that message is always going to be powerful. It's like we were made for it, you know, so just emulate that.
1: So good, Peter. Thank you so much for sharing all your thoughts today. It has been a pleasure speaking with you and breaking down this funny yet um, important concept of the wiener dog and how we can apply that into the trades. I've appreciated your ability to uh, switch from, you know, a marketing concept into something that isn't necessarily your forte and do it effectively.
0: Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And you know, I'm just happy to be on you guys are doing something fabulous with uh, waste no day. I'm just, impressed with uh what you guys are doing and i just say keep it up i'm i'm a fan cheering you guys on so what an honor to be on
2: do you want to quick mention your podcast peter
0: oh sure yeah if you want to check it out uh, i have a little podcast it's much smaller than this one you know we have all of maybe 31 subscribers on youtube or something like that (laughs) but uh it's uh it's called the nevcast n-e-v-c-a-s-t nevcast And it's three bros taught justice, business, and art in pursuit of Jesus. It's uh, myself, my brother, and our other brother, Rashi, who's not from the same mother as uh, my (laughs) father, as my brother and I. And uh, we have a fantastic time and bring on all sorts of guests. And a couple of them, you know, Roy's been on our podcast a couple times now and uh, other really cool people of all sorts. So, yeah, if you want to check it out, it's available on, you know, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, all sorts of, you know, Podcast Addict, whatever is it, Spotify is out there check that out and check out wiener dog marketing which you can find anywhere on the internet too
1: awesome well peter we again we thank you for taking the time to be with us today it has been good make sure you check out uh those materials specifically the book there wiener dog marketing uh, as well as the podcast so thank you so much peter
2: yep great to see or uh, great to talk to you again peter and we look forward to having you on again soon
0: all right appreciate it guys have a great one you too buddy
1: Hey, that's a wrap for this podcast. I hope that you found it not only memorable, but entertaining as well. It's a really funny and yet uh, important concept to be looking at there with the wiener dog marketing, wiener dog uh, races, and wiener dogs themselves. So I think Peter covered a vast array of things there, including the concept of mentoring and mentorship, uh, finding somebody to look up to and aspire to and just working your way through how you can become like them. As well as the concept of memorability, how you can make yourself memorable in the home, adapt to the things that are around you, be different, and make somebody remember and be surprised at who you were and how you conducted yourselves in the home in a good way. So they say, man, I got to get that guy's card. That's really what we want to be doing here every single week is challenging you to find that next gear putting it in overdrive and getting somewhere that you've never been before, or maybe getting back to a place that you've slid from. Uh, Either way, getting better from the place that you are today so that tomorrow can be something better and something more than it was. Uh, So we want to leave you with our challenge as well as an encouragement to you. If you enjoy what you're hearing, share this podcast as well as any of the other ones with everybody that you feel can benefit from that. Leave us a comment in the reviews, give us some ideas for what you'd like to hear. And of course, a five-star review is always appreciated. Our challenge to you as it is every single week is to find a better way to improve yourself, find a better version of yourself inside and make sure that you always choose to wake up each morning and waste no day.